Chapter 14 of The Way of Perfection by St. Teresa of Avila. This is a Discerning Hearts recording read by Chris McGregor. The Way of Perfection by St. Teresa of Avila. Translated and edited by E. Allison Pierce. I feel sure that the Lord bestows great help on anyone who makes great resolutions, and for that reason it is necessary to inquire into the intentions of anyone who enters the life of religion. She must not come, as many nuns now do, simply to further her own interests, although the Lord can perfect even this intention if she is a person of intelligence. If not intelligent, a person of this kind should on no account be admitted for she will not understand her own reasons for coming, nor will she understand others who attempt subsequently to improve her. For, in general, a person who has this fault always thinks she knows better than the wisest what is good for her. And I believe this evil is incurable, for it is rarely unaccompanied by malice. In a convent where there are great many nuns, it may be tolerated, but it cannot be suffered among a few. When an intelligent person begins to grow fond of what is good, she clings to it manfully, for she sees that it is the best thing for her. This course may not bring her great spirituality, but it will help her to give profitable advice and to make herself useful in many ways without being a trouble to anybody. But I do not see how a person lacking in intelligence can be of any use in community life, and she may do a great deal of harm. This defect, like others, will not become obvious immediately. For many people are good at talking and bad at understanding, while others speak in a sharp and not too refined tone. And yet they have intelligence and can do a great deal of good. There are also simple, holy people who are quite unversed in business matters and worldly conventions, but have great skill in converse with God. Many inquiries, therefore, must be made before novices are admitted, and the period of probation before profession should be a long one. The world must understand once and for all that you are free to send them away, again, as it is often necessary to do in a convent where life is one of austerity, and then if you use this right, no one will take offense. I say this because these times are so unhappy, and our weakness is so great, that we are not content to follow the instructions of our predecessors and disregard the current ideas about honor, lest we should give offense to the novices' relatives. God grant that those of us who admit unsuitable persons may not pay for it in the world to come. Such persons are never without a pretext for persuading us to accept them, though in a matter of such importance no pretext is valid. If the superior is unaffected by her personal likings and prejudices and considers what is for the good of the house, I do not believe God will ever allow her to go astray. But if she considers other people's feelings and trivial points of detail, I feel she will be bound to err. This is something which everyone must think out for herself. She must commend it to God and encourage her superior when her courage fails her of such great importance is it. So I beg God to give you light about it. 
you do very well not to accept dowries. For if you were to accept them, it might happen that in order not to have to give back money which you no longer possess, you would keep a thief in the house who was robbing you from your treasure. And that would be no small pity. So you must not receive dowries from anyone, for to do so may be to harm the very person to whom you desire to bring profit. Chapter 15 But how discontentedly I am writing. I'm just like a person who does not know what she's doing. It is your fault, sisters, for I'm doing this at your command. Read it as best you can, for I am writing it as best I can. And if it is too bad, burn it. I really need leisure, and as you see, I have so little opportunity for writing that a week passes without my putting down a word and so I forget what I have said and what I am going to say next. Now, what have I just been doing? Namely, excusing myself. It's very bad for me, and I beg you not to copy it, for to suffer without making excuses is a habit of great perfection and very edifying and meritorious. And though I often teach you this, and by God's goodness you practice it, His Majesty has never granted this favor to me, May he be pleased to bestow it on me before I die. I am greatly confused as I begin to urge this virtue upon you, for I ought myself to have practiced at least something of what I am recommending you with regard to it. But actually, I must confess, I have made very little progress. I never seem unable to find a reason for thinking I am being virtuous when I make excuses for myself. There are times when this is lawful, and when not to do it would be wrong. But I have not that discretion, or better, the humility, to do it only when fitting. For indeed, it takes great humility to find oneself unjustly condemned and be silent. And to do this is to imitate the Lord who set us free from all our sins. I beg you, then, to study earnestly to do so, for it brings great gain, whereas I see no gain in our trying to free ourselves from blame. None, whatever. Save, as I say, in a few cases where hiding the truth might cause offense or scandal. Anyone will understand this who has more discretion than I. I think it is very important to accustom ourselves to practice this virtue and to endeavor to obtain from the Lord the true humility which must result from it. The truly humble person will have a genuine desire to be thought little of and persecuted and condemned unjustly, even in serious matters. For if she desires to imitate the Lord, how can she not do so better than this? And no bodily strength is necessary here, nor the aid of anyone save God. These are great virtues, my sisters, and I should like us to study them closely and to make them our penance. As you know, I deprecate other severe and excessive penances, which if practiced indiscreetly may injure the health. Here, however, there is no cause for fear. 
For however great the interior virtues may be, they do not weaken the body so that it cannot serve the order, while at the same time they strengthen the soul. And furthermore, they can be applied to very little things, and thus, as I have said on other occasions, they accustom one to gain great victories in very important matters. I have not, however, been able to test this particular thing myself, for I never heard anything bad said of me, which I did not clearly realize fell short of the truth. If I had not sometimes, often indeed, offended God in the ways they referred to, I had done so in many others. And I felt they had treated me far too indulgently in saying nothing about these. I much preferred people to blame me for what was not true than to tell the truth about me. For I disliked hearing things that were true said about me, whereas the other things, however serious they were, I did not mind at all. In small matters, I followed my own inclinations, and I still do so, without paying any affection to what is most perfect. So I should like you to begin to realize this at an early stage, and I want each of you to ponder how much there is to be gained in every way by this virtue, and how, so far as I can see, there is nothing to be lost by it. The chief thing we gain is being able, in some degree, to follow the Lord. It is a great help to meditate upon the great gain, which in any case this is bound to bring us, and to realize how, properly speaking, we can never be blamed unjustly since we are always full of faults, and a just man falls seven times a day, so that it would be a falsehood for us to say we have no sin. If, then, we are not to blame for the thing that we are accused of, we are never wholly without blame in the way that our good Jesus was. Oh, my Lord! When I think in how many ways thus to suffer, and all of them undeservedly, I know not what to say for myself, or what can I have been thinking about when I desired not to suffer, or what I am doing when I make excuses for myself. Thou knowest my good, that if there is anything good in me, it comes from no other hands than thine own. For what is it to thee, Lord, to give much instead of little? True, I do not deserve it, but neither have I deserved the favors which thou hast shown me already. Can it be that I should wish a thing so evil as myself to be thought well by anyone when they have said such wicked things of thee, who are good above all other good? It is intolerable, nor would I that thou shouldest have to tolerate anything displeasing in thine eyes being found in thy handmaiden. For see, Lord, mine eyes are blind, and very little pleases them. Do thou give me light, and give me truly to desire that all should hate me, since I have so often left thee, who hast loved me with such faithfulness. What is this, my God? What advantage do we think to gain from giving pleasure to creatures? What does it matter to us if we are to be blamed by them, provided we are without blame in the sight of the Lord? Oh, my sisters, we shall never succeed in understanding this truth, and we shall never attain perfection unless we think and meditate upon what is real and upon what is not. If there were no other gain than the confusion which will be felt by the person who has blamed you when she sees that you have allowed yourselves to be condemned unjustly, 
That would be a very great thing. Such an experience uplifts the soul more than ten sermons, and we must all try to be preachers by our deeds, since both the apostle and our own lack of ability forbid us to be preachers in word. Never suppose that either the evil or the good that you will do will remain secret, however strict may be your enclosure. Do you suppose, daughter, that if you do not make excuses for yourself, there will not be someone else who will defend you? Remember how the Lord took the Magdalene's part in the Pharisee's house, and also when her sister blamed her. He will not treat you as rigorously as he treated himself. It was not until he was on the cross that he had even a thief to defend him. His majesty, then, will put it into somebody's mind to defend you. If he does not, it will be because there is no need. This I have myself seen, and it is a fact, although I should not like to think too much of it, but rather to be glad when you are blamed, and in due time you will see what profit you experience in your souls. For it is in this way that you will begin to gain freedom. Soon you will not care if they speak ill or well of you. It will seem like someone else's business. It will be as if two persons are talking in your presence and you are quite uninterested in what they are saying because you are not actually being addressed by them. It becomes such a habit with us not to reply that it seems as if they are not addressing us at all. This may seem impossible to those of us who are very sensitive and not capable of great mortification. It is indeed difficult at first, but I know that with the Lord's help, the gradual attainment of this freedom and of renunciation and self-detachment is quite possible.